greed, volatility, and those darn dot plots. Welcome. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Glad you're here. We've got an hour for you, so let's get it going. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano's our President and CEO. Welcome to you. Yeah, thank you, Danny. And of course, we want to do the week in review. And of course, this past week was a negative one, and that broke a long streak, Derek. Right. The NASDAQ had been up seven weeks in a row, closed down 1% this week. S&P followed suit, similar decline. And the Russell 2000 small cap index was down 2%. So all in all, a pullback after a very strong rally. And we weren't surprised, really, of what happened this past week, especially out of the news of central banks around the world, certainly rattled some of the investment advisors this week. Right. We saw some higher than expected interest rate increases overseas. We heard from Jerome Powell. He, he again intimated that the Fed expects two more rate hikes in 2023, whereas in the past, many people thought we'd be seeing some rate cuts by the balance of the year. So central bank pressure on inflation continues. And of course, they are data dependent, so anything's possible. So we'll have to take a look at that, but we see what's happening in the Eurozone. And Derek, there's this thing called the PMI that we pay attention to. Right. I mean, Europe is definitely in a recession. Germany is in a recession. Uh, we saw weakness in France as well. And, you know, and one of the linchpins of the rally cries has been the China reopening would elevate everyone. And China's reopening has actually gone worse than expected, which has forced a central bank in China to actually go the opposite way. They're actually easing. And if they ease, folks, that generally means that their economy is slowing. So we're watching that with China. In fact, if they start to slow down, of course, as the second biggest economy in the world, that will have ripple effects. And at the same time, the Eurozone, as I mentioned, this PMI is at 50.3. Anything under 50 suggests retraction. And as Derek points out, Ireland, Germany, probably in a recession. France, not that far behind. So the United States is still in oasis. And we're going to pay attention that as we go, the Federal Reserve meeting coming up will steal the story, however. Well, they don't meet again until late July. And I think one thing that people need to keep in mind is at the beginning of this rally, positioning was extremely negative. Institutional exposure to equities was at multi-year lows. Retail enthusiasm for stocks had ebbed. And that positioning has now flipped. Strategists who had been bearish for a long time are recently starting to turn bullish as they're basically assigning a story to price action. So it's a time to be cautious. The volatility index is at very low levels, traded below 13 this week. And complacent Licency seems to be ruling the roost, but all in all, the technology sector continues to be the places to be with the NASDAQ, uh, outperform the S&P by a wide margin. And so, you know, we can talk about sectors and we can talk about the S&P, but there is certainly a lot of news being made by the bulls because you gave me a chart this week that showed the S&P returns over the last number of months and year, and it's really shocking to those who've been sitting on the sideline. Right. On a year-to-date basis, the S&P 500 is up 15%. And the interesting thing about that is as well as the rallying technologies, it really hasn't been accompanied by any increase in earnings estimates. So all of that has been fueled by what they call multiple expansion. And for the bulk of the stocks in the S&P 500, they have not benefited from multiple expansion. In fact, they're trading roughly flat on the year. And we look at all of that and say, you know, what is going on? And of course, we have earnings coming up and not that long. Of course, we're getting into the July 4th weekend coming up in just a bit. And, and we look at the earnings season that will start, but the world is really kind of goofy and it's not just the economic news. There's some entertainment news as well. Nice job. Good, good, good <laughs> guess. Really good play, Danny. Nice job. And of course, you know, where the economic and entertainment news come together, we saw this crazy story where Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg 
might have a cage fight in Las Vegas. I heard, and the, and the expectation is that could be a billion-dollar event. And although I do know Mark Zuckerberg actually does practice jujitsu, so I would have to give the odds to him. Yeah, where I don't think Elon Musk does. So, you know, in this crazy world that we live in, there's certainly economic news and there's entertainment news, and some are coming together. We often talk about the collide of politics and economics, but in a bigger picture, and I want to end on this because it's a big story, the 10-year Treasury has made a lot of news this week. The 10-year Treasury is sitting at 3.75%. And I think the most important thing right now is nominal interest rates are finally above the inflation rate. So that means that real rates are now positive. When that did not occur, when when real rates were negative, it actually incented people to go out and spend because you were basically losing money if you saved. That has started to reverse at the same time that the benefits of all of the accommodation during and following the pandemic has started to subside. We know students may have to begin paying their student loans back at the end of the summer. So the possibility that demand could start to slow and potentially not support some of these advances in some companies is, is starting to take hold. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, Dave Spano, our President and CEO. This Week in Review, On Demand, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at the top of the hour. It's Saturday, June 24th. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, is here. Dave Spano, President and CEO. Dave, we were talking about Musk and Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg going in the ring. You still box? You got any boxing no, skills left? No, okay. yeah, I've got nothing. I've no, got nothing. No cage match for this guy. No, All right. I'm, All right. I, I'm, I just try to walk. That's my thing. <laughs> no, but you know, we, we're looking at, Danny, uh, right now, if you look ahead and see what the interest rates that we have gone through over the last number of months in almost a year, and what scarring effect that's going to have on different sectors. And for example, Derek, we look at energy and what's happening in the ideas on supply side, but there is no question that these interest rate hikes will have a profound effect on the economy. Right. And, you know, in some ways, we've drawn the analogy of a hurricane being in the eye of the hurricane in the sense that the economy was strong enough initially to withstand higher interest rates, primarily because the labor market remained extremely strong. But if you listen to Powell and some of these other Fed governors, it's hard to imagine they don't want to see that unemployment rate touch 4%, perhaps even as high as 4.5%. And if that were the case, then that wealth effect goes in reverse. People are less confident about their jobs. They spend less. We talked about accommodation having basically basically been exhausted and people starting to eat into their savings and credit card rates at record high levels. So it really is easy to see a hiccup in the economy. We've talked about this recession that everybody's been looking for, but at some point those higher rates do bite. And my hope is that the Fed doesn't tighten too much. And that is definitely a possibility. As you mentioned, they're still talking about rate raising. We had a pause at the last meeting, but at some point you can over tighten. And which is really kind of funny because you we go back to a year and a half when we said they were too easy for too long, and that was going to cause runaway inflation. And I'm here to say that if they over-tighten, it could be a deeper and wider recession than what is anticipated. The other aspect of this is the housing market. We saw a really strong housing starts number, building permits also up uh, to the highest levels they've been in quite some time. And the housing market remains very firm. Dave, as you know, in most places, uh, housing inventories are really low, and that compels the builders then now with lumber prices at more reasonable levels and their ability to see your better financing than private competitors. That's causing them to construct homes, and that potentially could put some downward pressure on prices. But housing being strong is another wealth effect that has helped to keep consumers on the spending trail. And and let's stay on the real estate idea for right now. Commercial real estate is the proverbial next shoe to drop. And you think about what could happen, and of course, a 
we read uh, a couple of weeks ago that so much of CRE or commercial real estate is in interest only. And so as these rates have risen, that has put pressure on their financials. Right. And we've seen like, a, for example, one of the largest hotels in San Francisco, they just walked away from their from their obligations. So there is pressure there. Uh, refinancing rates are certainly going to be lower. The occupancy rates are higher. Uh, and so there will be pressure there. And that, again, ag- aggravates the situation that many of the banks face, you know, where they're having to pay depositors more money and therefore they're more reluctant to loan. So that could also, again, be a hindrance on the economy, which is why we really really think a, a more neutral exposure to equities relative to fixed income is called for. There's one thing that we've heard a lot, of course, is did this bank crisis pass? And and we said we didn't think it's completely passed and that there could be more consolidations coming in the future. Right. Typically, what you see in a banking cycle is a credit bust. You see some def- so higher defaults rates. You see the banks have to pull in their lending. And that, of course, restricts their ability to lend further and has a cascading effect. And with interest rates at higher levels and people have been used to for quite a while, it's not hard to see that happening. And you talk about uh, human nature, and, and I think that is really apt to what we're talking about here. And as we go through portfolios, people have to keep their eye on the long-term perspective. And you and I have been doing this for a long time, and that is really a solid piece of advice. Absolutely. I mean, you want to look at valuations, but you also don't want to, you know, use valuations as your only tool because valuations are horrendous timing devices. We've certainly seen that with some of the artificial intelligence related stocks that have had a a spectacular first half of 2023. But at some point, those valuations do stick and people are no longer willing to pay more than 40 times sales for one particular company. (laughs) And they're going to look at other areas like maybe some beaten down banks that they think will weather the storm better than others or consumer discretionary companies companies that have managed their inventory better, or even energy companies that are now at a much cheaper level than they were at the beginning of the year with oil prices supposedly going higher into the balance of the year if China recovers. And we are talking about investments, but we have a lot of, of the show left, Danny, and we're going to cover a lot of other topics and have all other voices and looking forward to the rest of the show. This show is a great sample of Annex Wealth Management and the way it's built as a team. And it's a team that can work for you. In fact, it probably should work for you, right? Maybe you're working with somebody else, haven't heard from him in a while, maybe you're not quite confident, it's time, right? Let's take a second look at what you've got. Let's get a plan in place for this year and beyond. It starts at AnnexWealth.com when you click that Get Started button. You know, we work with a number of businesses to create solid workplace benefits programs, but what kinds of companies? We're going to take a break and be back with that next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, joined by Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. Hello, Tom. Hello, Danny. I got to apologize at the start of this segment. You and I were discussing Retirement Plan Services Department at Annex, and I I just guessed the number of clients that you and the team handle. It was far lower than you and the team actually handled. Sorry about that. Danny, I take that as a compliment. I figure that means we're doing well with the resources we have, so thank you. You know, it makes sense. You guys have a department that's well-staffed, and that's how you provide that client service that you do. We talk about team all the time in Annex, and that's true. I have a great team on the 401k side, but we also work with the investment committee and the other wealth managers. So it truly is a team effort, and we're, we're fortunate to have the people we do. I thought it might be helpful to paint the picture 
as to the types of companies that we provide services for. And it is a wide range. So maybe there's a company owner or a CFO, an HR professional, or a small business leader listening that will hear a company like theirs and decide that Annex Wealth Management and the Retirement Plan Services would be a great tool in attracting and retaining talent because that's a big deal. It is for sure, regardless of the size of your company. So you're, you're spot on here. Here's another mistake I made. You said we've got a client that's a startup. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Like a, like a business in a garage kind of a startup, like, like the early Harley Davidson or Hewlett Packard, but no. Here's where you get into 401k vernacular. And when we talk about startup plans, we're talking about the plan starting up. So yes, there are startup companies. Sometimes they will also start up a 401k plan at the time they're starting the company, but very rarely does that happen. Really, when we're looking at startups, we're talking about companies that have been around for a while, they finally got their feet under them, starting to accumulate some employees, and they want to start offering benefits. So the plan is something that they are starting up after having had their business go for a while. How do we structure that in the early days? It's interesting, Danny. The secure legislation and then secure 2.0 really changed the way that startup plans operate. The purpose of those legislation, well, an element of that legislation, the purpose was to encourage more employers to start 401k plans to offer this benefit. So there are actually a lot of tax incentives and other financial incentives for smaller companies to start 401k plans. Education is what it's all about, Danny, because those people very involved in their business. They got a lot more important things to worry about than this. So we really act as a guide in helping them understand what they need to do, what they can do, and how to make it all happen. Good for the companies, ultimately good for the employees. Let's jump up to a medium-sized company. With Annex Wealth Management and the Retirement Plan Services world, what constitutes a medium-sized company? I love that you're asking this question, Danny, because when we look in our industry and people talk about this, they always focus on the asset size of the plan. And for us, the total assets of a plan are really not relevant. What's relevant is the employees. How many of them are there? Where are they located? Sure. You know, do you have 15 locations or do you only have the one? For us, a medium-sized company is somewhere in the 75 to 150-ish range. And that's what we look at. That's kind of our core group. We have more clients in that space than anyone. With more employees, does that expand the breadth of services? The breadth of services itself does not expand. It's really just a question of how do we deliver those across the employee population? If there are multiple locations, obviously that adds a dynamic than if there's only one. The other question is what do our clients want from us? We offer a lot of stuff, Danny, as you know. A lot of it is figuring out which combination of the services we offer is going to be right for the particular employee base. With Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. So we work with companies at the startup level, medium-sized companies, large companies as well. Without naming names, how do you describe those large companies and how do we do that? When we look at large companies, I think in terms of companies that have the resources inside the company itself. So they'll have a full-fledged benefits department. There's going to be somebody at the company who really understands benefits overall, 401ks in particular. You're going to see investment committees, things like that. Just the manner in which we interact with those is different because they have resources that smaller and medium-sized companies don't have as much. So just, we don't spend as much time on education and perspective because they already have that. Based on their experience, we really get into more of the specifics of how we're going to deliver our services, both to them as a committee and to their employees. Yeah. So big or small, our goal is the same high-level service for a client that attracts and retains great employees because that's what we're after. It is, Danny. The employees, the 
participants, as we call them in our 401k speak, are really what the plan is all about. What we want to do is help our clients structure a plan that is going to help their employees maximize the benefit and then work with their team to help them take greatest advantage of that through technology, through one-on-one meetings. We do all of those things. Like I said before, it depends on from one client to the next, whether they prefer mostly in person, mostly online, some combination of the two. The nice thing about working at Annex is we can customize things for whatever our clients want. It's a lot of fun. You shared the following stats with me. I was blown away. 87% of employees feel retirement benefits are an important consideration when deciding to stay, stay with an employer. 75% of employees believe an employer has a great deal of responsibility to help them save for retirement. If you need to build up a retirement plan service, maybe you want a second look at what you got. What's the best way to get a hold of you? I recommend people check me out on LinkedIn. Always look at our YouTube channel to get a feel for how we communicate with people. Otherwise, check out AnnexWealth.com and get a hold of us. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Danny. Saturday, June 24th, the first weekend of Summerfest, and there's a lot going on. Let's get caught up and head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Let's do Ask Annex. If you got a question for us, you head to the website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. And again, as always, if we can help, just click that Get Started button. Sarah Kyle's a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, joining us for Ask Annex. Welcome. Hi, Danny. Matt Moore is the investment team manager. Welcome to you. Hi, Danny. First question on Ask Annex. I'd like to leave money to my grandchildren, but different amounts based on need. Can that be arranged? And can the amounts be kept secret? Absolutely. You definitely have the flexibility to leave different amounts of money to your grandchildren in your estate planning. So just when consulting with your estate planning attorney or financial advisor, you can just let them know your desire to keep the inherited amounts confidential and they can help explore the legal options and strategies to protect your wishes. Next on Ask Annex, I want to park some cash short term. Online HYSA, that's high yield savings account, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Rates vary from 4 to 4.8%. Naturally, the highest rate is from an institution I've never heard of. Is that a problem. So it depends. You know, one thing I would look at from that institution is, are they FDIC insured? Then you at least have the backing of, of those assets that are there that you know that if you stay underneath those limits, that that cash is going to be available to you. What I would also look at is the two main questions that I would have for you is how much is it going to be and for how long? Because there are other options as well, too. You think of like a money market account, you know, through the custodians that we use, you're getting almost 5% on that. And that's really, really short term money that you can access a day later. And that's a great option for you there. And you know that you've got the full back and then because of where that money market is. If it's going to be a little bit longer, you can actually look at treasuries as a potential option because you're getting five to five and a half percent within the short of two year time period on that. So if you know, hey, I want this money, but I'm not going to need it for a year, year and a half, you might be able to layer some treasuries in there and get an even higher yield and a better backing behind it as well. Yeah. And you also make sure you read that fine print. There's occasions where companies will limit how much you can take out. So they may say you can only take out 25% a month. And they also limit the ATM machines you can use to access that money. So just read the fine print and just be careful when you're using the online high yield savings account companies. Ask Annex got a question. You head to the website, look for the Ask tab. Next up, new job, but no insurance for 60 days. Can I use HSA money to pay for COBRA? Yes, absolutely. You can make the tax-free distributions from your HSA to pay medical premiums when you continue coverage through COBRA or you're collecting unemployment benefits. 
Next up, I've been waiting for this one. We are shocked. Our last child graduated from college, and we have leftover 529 money. It seems like rolling it over to a Roth IRA is the best idea for our situation. This seems to be a very rare occurrence, but we'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. So beginning in 2024, the federal legislation known as the SECURE Act 2.0 gives 529 plan beneficiaries the ability to transfer some of those 529 plan funds into their own Roth IRA without paying taxes or penalties. But of course, there's always rules that are associated with it. You can do a lifetime maximum of $35,000, but the annual Roth contribution limits will apply. So you just have to be aware of those. And that 529 plan needs to be open for at least 15 years. And you also can't roll over the last five years of contributions or earnings. So it's a great option, but there are some strings attached. And you could go back to school yourself, right? But I don't know who does that. But right, Did you, what was the Rodney Dangerfield movie? School days. Back to back school. To school. <laughs> That's a fantastic school. one. That was filmed in Wisconsin as well. Yep, That's right. right in Madison. That's right. I think my husband was an extra. Next up on Ask Annex, I hear countless radio commercials about the weakness of the U.S. dollar and how it might be replaced as the standard currency. How much of this is true? So it really depends. And first, I would look at the commercial that you're seeing and what are they trying to sell? Because most of the time, that's what it is, right? And a lot of times, these are places that are going to try to get you to invest into gold or to silver or something like that. So I would look at the messaging of that commercial first. Secondly, we do get this question fairly often, and it depends on how you're looking at it. So currencies have time periods where they're strong and other times where they're weak versus other baskets of currencies. And that's natural. There's going to be an ebb and flow to all currencies. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a long-term trend. It doesn't necessarily mean that the dollar is going to go out of favor as well, too. Those, there's natural time periods where the dollar is going to do better or worse than other currencies. Long-term, yes, there's always a time where certain world powers have their currency be the currency of the entire world. Right now, it's the U.S. dollar. In past, it was Rome and other types of empires in the past that had their currency be the big thing. So there is going to be a time where the U.S. dollar won't be. But right now, we're about 70% of world reserve currencies in trade. The next closest is 20%, which is the euro. But most of that trade and denomination in terms of the banking system is in Europe itself. It's not necessarily spreading as much out to the rest of the world. So I think we've got some time there, but something we certainly watch for. Matt Morrissey, Investment Team Manager. Thank you. Thank you. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager. Thank you. You're welcome. At Annex, we don't sell annuities. In fact, we don't sell anything. But our clients come to us with annuities in their portfolios, and we analyze them carefully. That means we're really experienced at seeing just about every version of them. We're going to take a look at fixed deferred annuities after a break. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Eric Strom, financial planning manager and a CFP at Annex. Welcome back. Hi, Danny. You know, besides hotcakes, you know what else is selling like hotcakes? Annuities. In a time of volatility, the marketing around them is creative and to my eye and ear, constant. Guaranteed income. I mean, who wouldn't want that? But like anything, there are pros, cons, and alternatives. We want you to know the difference. So Eric, our financial planning team, you guys are no stranger to annuities. And we see lots of them during the portfolio review. And if I remember correctly, your team pours through many of them each year on behalf of our clients. That is the Annex Wealth Management annuity analysis. Yes, there are many types of annuities. You know, you've got variable annuities, indexed style of annuities. You've got these fixed deferred annuities we're going to talk about more so today. But they're very complicated. They can be very expensive, long-term obligation in many cases. We very much like to help our clients understand annuities that they already own and how they work, how they can best leverage those. Let's start with a brief explanation of fixed deferred annuities for our listeners who may not be familiar with them because, as you said, there's a ton of styles. 
We're going to zero in just on one style of annuity today, the fixed deferred annuity, because they are so popular at the current time. This is where you're investing with a life insurance company. You are handing over some money to them. In exchange, you get an annuity contract, which is going to provide typically a guaranteed rate of interest for some stated amount of time. Fixed deferred annuities typically are very simple, no fees, very similar to a bank CD. However, there also are fixed annuities that are highly complicated with lots of bells and whistles and lots of riders and costs and rules. And those are different as well. So I do want to draw that distinction. And we'll kind of talk a little bit more about that as well. Annuities are sold. And you were talking about bells and whistles, and they usually come with the commission for the salesperson. Let's talk about sales data in general. Yeah, we actually just got the first quarter 2023 sales data from Limra during the first quarter that we had $91 billion of total annuities sold. And interestingly, these fixed deferred annuities represented about 44% of all annuity sales, which is very, very staggering growth compared to the prior year. These fixed deferred annuities are very popular now, representing almost half of annuity sales. Rates for fixed annuities, they're high. It's got something to do with the 10-year treasury yield. Can you explain that correlation? Yes. Fixed annuity rates are influenced by interest rates in general. Because think about this. When you're buying this annuity contract, the life insurance company is turning around and taking your money and investing that in conservative bonds and such. So if interest rates are going higher and they can earn more on that, then you are going to see these rates going up. Look at the 10-year treasury yield as an example of a benchmark. As that goes up and down for fixed annuity type products, you're going to see rates going up and down as well. And we're in a, a higher environment relative to recent history. So that's why we're seeing those higher rates. Eric Strom, financial planning manager and a CFP at Annex. Let's talk about the pros and the cons. Let's do the pros first. Yeah, the pros of fixed deferred annuities, especially because rates are higher now, is that for those simple varieties, you've got a very understandable product similar to a bank CD, very easy to understand, typically just paying that level interest rate for a certain number of years. And we like simple and understandable because in the world of annuities, that's pretty rare. So that's really the pros, but let's turn to the cons because you've got to understand that as well. First of all, you want to be wary that some of these fixed products are very complicated. They're not necessarily as preferable. In some cases, they can be. They can have lots of complexity, hidden expenses, rules that can change over time, even while you're still obligated to the product, and a very long term that you must keep these products in most cases. And the commissions are very, very high for the salesperson in many of these more complicated fixed products. So be wary of that. So that's the first downside. More broadly speaking, there is an inflation risk, sort of a hidden risk to really buying these because, you know, you look at these and you think, wow, these rates are really good and I, I'm happy with that. And these high fixed rates can tempt investors to become sometimes overly weighted to these conservative investments like annuities. Understand that we're in a high inflation time. We haven't seen inflation like this since the 70s and the 80s. Because of that, there is a hidden risk to holding these types of products, we don't want to just keep up with inflation. We need to maintain a balanced portfolio with equities and be ready for significantly higher costs. And even in our own lives with healthcare costs increasing, it's very important to understand that we're in that higher inflation time. And as a result of that, there is that hidden risk when it comes to buying these types of products. Are there alternatives? 
Yes, this is a good way to think about it. Remember, when you buy an annuity contract, you've put the life insurance company as the middleman. What they're doing, they're turning around and investing in those conservative investments. In return, you get a life insurance contract or an annuity contract. So the alternative to this is to remove the middleman and you buy those investments directly. For example, treasury ladders. Now, an advantage of this is that you're more nimble because by you accepting that risk and you becoming the investor, as rates change, because as we know, things are always changing. We've got presidential election coming up. And with all of that, being nimble and not being tied to a fixed product for many years can give us advantages as things change. And by removing the middleman, what you're really doing is kind of reducing the overall cost in a sense, because even though the fixed annuity itself has no fees, there is a cost, so to speak, to having that middleman in place. And instead, maybe you just buy the investments. In many cases, that can be an appropriate alternative to consider. Eric Strom, financial planning manager and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Great stuff as always. Thanks. Thank you, Danny. We're going to take a quick break and be back to wrap things up. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Just a quick reminder, this show is going to be available as a podcast at the top of the hour, wherever you get your podcasts. So that might be Spotify, might be Apple Podcasts, wherever. So if you came in partway through and you want to hear the rest, that would be great. I'm Danny Clayton, now joined in the studio by Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Hey, Danny, good to see you. Kind of cool having you on CNBC on Friday. That was uh, really interesting stuff. Oh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I love the fact that I can do that from the studio so I don't have to travel anywhere. And it's always a nice conversation. You know, it's very short and so you're limited as to what you're able to say within that 30-second window that they give you. But, you know, it was a nice like five-minute dialogue that we had about some of the big themes that we're seeing in the markets. And what exactly were you talking about? Lazy something. Yeah, so I uh, in our quarterly investment outlook, which should be coming out after the, let's see here, I think the 4th of July holiday, yep. we're going to be having uh, our view about not only where are we, but where do we think we might be going? And we did get to have a bit of a bull market. At least we crossed that 20% return mark from the October lows. But what is coming next? Now, obviously, we can't really forecast that, but we can look at history and look at different patterns that we've seen. And there are, we think, two different types of bull markets. There's a raging bull where it continues to make continued advances because the economy is roaring ahead. But then there's also what we would call a lazy bull market. That's more like what you saw during the 70s, where it went up, but then it went down. So kind of advanced, but in fits and starts, took a few breaks. And that's what we think that we might be in store for, for not only the balance of this year, but really it could even be over the next couple of years. You've appeared on CNBC with Kelly Evans, and she wrote a piece about maybe the economic conditions of now being compared to the 70s, she took a position that maybe it's more like 08, 09. I sent it to you. You'd, you'd seen it. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, and uh, I, I definitely agree with her general thesis that a lot of people are drawing comparisons to the 70s because oil prices went high. We had high inflation. Uh, and we uh, thankfully now have oil prices coming down a little bit. Inflation seems to be on a downward trend. And so she draws the analogy more to 2008, 2009. Not to say that it's a financial crisis, but as far as the 
amount of leverage in the economy. And now a lot of the leverage, it's not in the banking system so much as it is in the government. If you think about debt to GDP for the overall government is around 120%. That's a historic high. Even the deficit that we have. So that's the amount per year in excess of the revenues that they're spending. It's at 5%. And now granted, that's an improvement for what we had in COVID, but it is still unusually high given the strength of the labor market. Do you feel that the average American feels that we're maybe out of the woods, inflation coming down, the bull market was back? Not investment professionals, but the average American. Uh, So thankfully, we do have some surveys to give some indication about that. The University of Michigan has their consumer sentiment index. The conference board has a consumer confidence survey. And when you read through the details of that, people don't think we're out of the woods yet. They do think things are getting better on the inflation front. But there is this lingering worry that there will be a recession and that what does that mean for the job? market then. It's interesting you mentioned that. At the end of the week, the Wall Street Journal had a, a headline that caught my eye, and it just said, where is the recession we were promised? It was a tongue-in-cheek headline, but... Where was the re- where is the recession? Yeah, it was we in from? the rearview mirror, really. I mean, people who are worried about a recession coming, I totally understand that because when you have an unemployment rate where it is now, it doesn't seem like there has been one. But there have been pockets of the economy that have been struggling. Uh, I would argue that the manufacturing sector spent most of 2022 in a recession and continues to be there. Uh, we got some data this past week from the purchasing manager indices that suggests manufacturing is still contracting. Now, it's not universal. It's not every company, it's not every industry, but as a whole, goods producing industries have been on the decline. Now, where it hasn't shown up has been in the service sector, but a lot of that is because people during COVID, their consumption was disrupted where suddenly they started buying goods instead of services. They've been rotating back into services, spending money on experiences like travel, hospitality, leisure, things like that. And honestly, that's the part where it looks a little stretched, especially as you see credit card debt rising. There isn't as much stimulus money in people's savings accounts. I'm not exactly sure how long this can really last. Wait till the student loan payments resume. That is another risk, and we deal with that in our quarterly investment outlook as far as something to watch. It is likely going to be something that plays out over time and really affecting a segment of the overall population, but it is likely to be a drag on growth going forward. In our final minute, what's uh, what are we looking at through the front windshield? Yes, so this was a lot about the rear view looking out the the front view mirror so like next week i'm really interested towards the end of the week we're going to get information on personal income and spending so we'll get that more detailed analysis about how are these spending habits changing over the last few years so that we can see are we back to where people kind of want to be from a budgeting perspective or not there's always something, isn't there? There certainly is. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. A good, again, good job on uh, TV last Thank week. Thank you so much. Yeah, I sure appreciate that. Folks, can we help you out? Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Let's have a casual conversation and get things going. We'll be back next Saturday at 10 a.m. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ.